Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. In the midst of an unprecedented government crisis, this week's episode couldn't discuss anything else but the latest on the Brexit chaos. Stay tuned at the end of the interview for the second of our campaign updates with a Socialist Party member in Wales talking about the fight to save jobs at Fordbridge End. Also this week, check out our bonus episode, a radio interview with Socialist Party member and former MP Dave Nellist on Corbyn's approach to Brexit. That's out now. Email us your thoughts or your own campaign interviews to socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Now, over to Sarah Rack. Today I'm here with Judy Beeshan, a member of the Socialist Party's Executive Committee. Hi Judy. Hi Sarah. And we're going to be discussing, as I think everyone in the country is, uh, the latest with Brexit and the crisis facing May's government. Um, so Judy, uh, last week, Tuesday, was the biggest defeat for a government in parliamentary history. Where does May now find herself? Well... I think um, it's true to say she's in a crisis situation. There's no mistaking that. Her lost vote on Tuesday last week was expected, of course, before it took place. But the scale of it, the scale of the, of the defeat, was another matter. It caused massive shockwaves because it was such a huge defeat. And as you said, it was um, said to be the worst ever defeat by a go- uh, for a government in Parliament on a major issue. And um, one of the cabinet ministers was even quoted as saying after it, uh, we don't have a government. Mm-hmm. You know, that was their reaction. And I think basically Theresa May is still caught, very much so, between the pro-Brexit and anti-Brexit wings of her party. But in fact, it's far from being that simple because there's really, in reality, a splintering into many different positions amongst the Tory MPs and, of course, in other parties as well. Um, I mean, when you look at the positions of the 118 MPs who voted against her uh, her deal, um, when they categorised those positions, there were actually five different directions among them regarding their solutions to the present crisis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really, it is a, it's a huge crisis. And actually, you also need to bear in mind that it's over the withdrawal agreement from the EU. It's not over the long-term relationship. So even if a withdrawal agreement is agreed by Parliament, it won't stop the divisions. That's clear. There's going to be ongoing great volatility. Mm. And we've pointed out that one of the big factors um, that capitalist politicians are taking into account is the interests of capitalism and uh, of big business. So what, what does the majority of big business want to happen out of this? Well, it was clear uh, when the referendum took place in 2016 on membership of the EU that most of UK big business didn't want the UK to leave the EU. They see it as on balance against their profit-making interests. I think that's clear. But now, obviously, they've had to face the referendum decision to leave um, and... They've got a big fear of disruption uh, in the event of a so-called no-deal Brexit. So we've seen that the CBI Bosses Organisation has given reluctant support to Theresa May's deal, uh, the one that she negotiated with the EU. 
and really in general they're trying to get the softest possible Brexit and May's proposals do really amount to a soft Brexit as they stand at present, a pro-big business deal in fact. But of course the point is that she can't get that agreed at present mm. and that's a huge problem for big business and the entire capitalist class in fact. So now she has to come back with something else. <laughs> she, <Yes>. it's, uh, <laughs> she's obviously had uh, that deal that you just mentioned rejected um, and she's talking about going back to, to Europe, trying to get further changes and so on. But what changes might she actually be able to get to the proposals and how is she going to manage that? Well, that's a, a very good question. I mean, it, it looks like she's, uh, from the news this morning, it looks like she's going to try to push on with her existing deal with some, maybe some minor modifications. And then uh, the press is saying that she's going to go for another vote on January the 29th. And then if she can win that, the reports say, she would then take a modified proposal uh, to the European Union. So she'd try and do things in the reverse order to the way she did it last time. Mm. And um, we saw last week that the idea of her possibly moving to include a customs union, um, which would remove the need for the so-called Irish backstop, seems to have bitten the dust for now at least, following these cross-party talks that have happened at the end of last week and over the weekend because the reports are that she's not managed to get any agreements with any of the other parties in Parliament on bringing a customs union into the proposal. Um, there's the reports say that the SNP, the Scottish National Party, are making a second referendum on the EU, a condition. The Lib Dems have said that they'd agree her present deal, in fact, if she'd agreed to a second referendum. We've obviously seen some Labour MPs, well, 71 signed a letter on it, wanting a second referendum too. But May is standing uh, firm on opposing a second referendum because really it would be highly risky for the ruling class in Britain to go down that road. Um, it would be highly divisive. It would increase anger against the capitalist establishment and politicians and alienation from them. Uh, May had very strong words on that issue. She actually said that um, it would do catastrophic harm to people's faith in the democratic process and politicians. Mm. Um, but then the other issue is that, um, of course, there, it's not just a question of the outrage that would break out if they seem to be trying to overturn the first referendum result. But um, it's also what would happen if that second referendum just reaffirms the Brexit decision. Where would the Tory government be then? And uh, by the way, it could take a long time to get a, a decision for a second referendum through Parliament. It could take months, not least in deciding the questions that were going to be asked. Um, and then I'll just add that um, really that there's clearly all sorts of shenanigans going on in Parliament. And we can't predict now what's going to happen in the next days and weeks. There'll um, clearly be moves by some MPs to force an extension of Article 50. In other words, um, you know, that 29th of March departure date from the EU. And there's moves by some MPs to change the whole centuries-old norm of Parliament that um, says that the government sets the agenda of the debate. Um, and they want to instead place it in the hands of MPs in general. But at present, there doesn't seem to be a majority for any proposal amongst the MPs. So, you know, what are they going to do having got that <laughs> agreed? 
Yeah, and that um, lack of any uh, majority is is kind of the big problem for her, isn't it? And that even if she did get some changes to her deal, whichever way those change, whichever kind of direction those changes were in, would alienate MPs from one side uh, or, or the other. So there was uh, even an article in the Financial Times last week pointing out that. If she softened the deal, for example, to try and win over some of the Blairites, maybe to to support it, um, that that would open up the possibility of a split in the Tory party from the the Brexiteers within the Tories. So that's kind of the dilemma she's facing, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a seemingly unsolvable situation for May without further ruction surfacing without even greater division breaking out, which can lead towards a split, you know, to be blunt, in in a Tory party. But um, it's a moving picture every day. We'll see how things develop. Rhys Mogg from the hard Brexit-supporting European research group has suggested that he'd back May's present deal rather than face a no-deal scenario. Uh, So we'll have to see how things develop. If May can end up with some convoluted wording that satisfies some of the present rebel Tories, though, uh, should still have great difficulty in satisfying all of them. Mm. Um, And, of course, the DUP MPs as well. And she would need to do that in order to win a vote. And, of course, she could still try and get some of the Labour MPs to support her deal, but only three did last week. I think we can say that any variant on her deal, including on the backstop, really, at the, at the present time, looks near impossible for her, given the size of the revolt that took place on Tuesday last week and the very small majority she's got in Parliament with the DUP. But that's not to rule out an 11th, 11th hour acquiescence to um, a deal that she puts forward. But the alternative is that we could see a total collapse in the, in the Cabinet being able to agree any proposal Um, and continue to govern. And in that case, they'd have no option but to call a general election. Now, May clearly doesn't want a general election. The Tories could end up losing it, but she might face no choice on that. And that would be very good because we're saying that the people's vote that's necessary is a general election so that we can have a Jeremy Corbyn-led government that can then uh, proceed to negotiate a Brexit that's as much as possible in the interests of the 99% in society and not the 1% at the uh, very top. And by the way, I'll just add um, on this issue that in a general election, the Tories would, of course, face a big crisis over what manifesto they're going to put Mm. on the exit from the European Union. How can they create one that would draw the Tory party together when you look at the situation as it stands? So you mentioned there no deal, and that is a big focus in the press and amongst politicians at the moment, isn't it, with some... Um, some MPs putting a lot of emphasis on a kind of desperation to avoid no deal. But what what does no deal actually mean? Yeah, well, a no deal Brexit on the 29th of March wouldn't in reality be an exit without any management of it and any preparation for it because clearly there'd be stop-gap agreements, probably many of them, and clearly there's a certain amount of preparation being done by companies that trade across Europe and by the government as well. And there's um, measures being talked about, like the Bank of England would possibly cut interest rates to try to boost the economy. And other emergency measures could be taken. 
But despite all of that, it would inevitably be disrupted to the economy and ordinary people to have a kind of disorderly um, Brexit without an, an agreed deal as such. And I think we could say that it would most likely be a very unstable situation for a period of time. But um, it, it's obviously there's a degree of scaremongering taking place on this uh, to try to push MPs towards May's deal. And obviously for other reasons, depending on what position MPs are coming from, um, sides of the debate are coming from. But this hasn't worked so far. And um, it's also clear, from as you'll see from what I've just said, that it's not just scaremongering. And in fact, few of the MPs want to, at the end of the day, take the blame for a disorderly, chaotic Brexit mm. and the suffering that that would cause. So I think um, an agreement on a deal might yet come before a no-deal situation is reached. But at the same time, there's no guarantee of that. So do you think then, given the, the instability and the potential kind of knock-on impact of the economic effect um, on workers, that Jeremy Corbyn has been right to kind of dig his heels in in opposition to a no-deal possibility? I think he's right to stand in opposition to a chaotic departure from the EU that would, yes, impact on the imports that ordinary people need, the medicines... And, of course, on people's jobs, uh, which could be the, the, the effect of that kind of uh, departure. And it's worth adding that when you look at May's appeal for cross-party talks, you were seeing that right-wingers in the Parliamentary Labour Party, like Hilary Benn, like Yvette Cooper, um, have rushed to try to oblige Theresa May and go, go into those talks. But how could Jeremy Corbyn and those around him negotiate any withdrawal agreement with the Tories that would be in working class people's interests? Mm. There's a clear class dividing line here. And Jeremy Corbyn rightly stands in opposition to the neoliberal diktats and the other anti-working class policies of the European Union. And the Tories don't, basically. Mm. So Jeremy Corbyn, I think, is absolutely right to keep saying that a general election is necessary and then he could lead a negotiating team that would take its standpoint to be the interests of the overwhelming majority in this country. Um, and I would add, um, in the interests of working class people across Europe, because we need to stand, of course, working class people in Britain need to stand in solidarity with other workers across Europe. We all need to fight the politics of austerity and the super exploitation in workplaces, low pay, casualisation and so on. And that means rejecting the EU rules that can try to impose, well, let's say mass misery on whole populations like we saw in the case of um, Greece, what was done to the Greek people, or the rules that can try to prevent state aid being used to save jobs or nationalisation being used to save jobs or um, and answer people's needs in other ways um, or really um, the EU rules that allow bosses to exploit workers from low-wage countries in order to undermine wages in higher-wage countries. Uh, Jeremy is obviously going to need to stand firm on all of these issues and um, I will just add that he came out for negotiation of a customs union last year so that trade could still flow freely um, in the event of European, you know, well, well when rather, we, uh, the UK exits from the European Union. Um, so, you know, 
that trade wouldn't be in, impeded by by that, and that the goods that workers need, the jobs that workers depend on, uh, wouldn't be adversely affected. And we would say that's not a wrong stance to take. You know, to want to protect workers' jobs and needs, we welcome that. But at the same time, we stress that it doesn't mean giving any support to EU trade policy in Europe or worldwide. Uh, on the contrary, we oppose the trade policies of the capitalist governments across Europe, their, their motives and the way that they impose um, extremely bad conditions and terms on the poorest countries of the world as well. So that's on Corbyn's approach to Brexit. Um, what about his approach to the the knock-on effect of it here in the government crisis? Uh, obviously, um, he moved the no confidence uh, vote later last week after the uh, the defeat for May's um, Brexit deal, and he's raised the possibility of continuing to bring back um, no confidence votes, kind of again and again. Uh, what do you think about that approach? Well, obviously, his bid for a no confidence vote didn't work last week, but that lack of success doesn't mean it won't work in a new situation. Say if a section of the Tory MPs become enraged enough with their leadership to support one. Mm. Um, and then if a no-confidence vote does succeed, MPs would have 14 days to try to create an alternative government. And if that fails, a general election is called. But as I said earlier, the government is in such an intractable position with virtually no room to manoeuvre. Um, so there could just be a complete breakdown of government and we could end up with a general election that way. But um, I, I just uh, the, the other important issue is that Jeremy Corbyn shouldn't just try to um, win a vote, a no-confidence vote in Parliament to get a general election, but we've raised that he needs to be building and spearheading a mass movement outside Parliament to ramp up pressure for a general election, working alongside the trade union leaders who can be brought on board to lead such a movement as well. Because when you consider that there's over 6 million trade union members in Britain who could be mobilised behind the demand for a general election and millions more would support them, uh, then that would really be the surest way of making the government unworkable, causing it to collapse and um, getting to the point of a general election. So it really needs to be a strategy of that as well as what Jeremy Corbyn is doing in Parliament. And related to that then, what, um, what does the Socialist Party say that the, the workers' movement needs to be doing in support of these demands? Well, firstly, to do the, to ramp up the pressure for a general election, as I've just explained in brief. But then uh, that general election has got to be won, of course, <laughs> by the Jeremy Corbyn leadership. Um, and uh, we've been emphasising that it can be won uh, if he puts a very bold anti-austerity manifesto and policies to raise living standards. And that means a manifesto with socialist measures, basically. And I don't think I perhaps need to go over, you know, why that's needed. Millions of people are struggling to get by, whether on terrible levels of benefits or too low wages. There's uh, millions who don't want to see the NHS run down, privatised or education, or other services going down the same road. And for young people, uh, well, they need a future that they can look forward to, not a dread of what's to come, and just a fear of a future of debt and poverty, which is, of course, what uh, is offered by 
not you know the Tories and the capitalist system in general. So these are the issues I think that will come to the fore in a general election, and that can lead to a strong vote to get the Tories out. And we saw in the snap general election in 2017, a strong glimpse of that mood, in fact, going in that direction. Then, when we've got a Corbyn-led government in power, the need for mass pressure, mass mobilisation wouldn't be over. It would be necessary to back that government up to make sure it could stand up to sabotage from the capitalist class and actually deliver on its promises. And going back to the issue of Europe, uh, Jeremy Corbyn led governments would be in a stronger negotiating position than this weak, discredited Tory government because its demands could be backed up by mass expectations, providing it explains to people, explains to working class people, middle class people, what it's demanding and how its demands in Europe will further their interests. And at the same time, if it makes absolutely clear that there's Nothing in common between a socialist attitude to Brexit and that of the racist right in politics. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't want division and hostility between workers across Europe. On the contrary, we advocate stronger relations, solidarity between workers across Europe and coordinated workers' organisation and struggles across the continent. Only the working class, through organising as a class, can provide a real solution to the crisis which British and European capitalism faces. So that means common struggle against exploitation by the bosses and against the austerity that's coming from the capitalist governments and uh, for campaigning, arguing for socialist societies, which are the only solution for the overwhelming majority of people and for the sustainability of the planet. Okay, well, this is obviously a continually unfolding situation that we'll have to come back to um, again in the podcast and also that we're covering regularly in our, our newspaper and magazine. So people should check out all of that material and the two previous podcasts on Brexit that we've had as well. Thanks for joining us, Judy. Thank you. For links to those past episodes and articles, head over to the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And if you agree with what you hear and want to get involved in the type of campaigning you'll hear about in just a moment, get in touch at socialistparty.org.uk. Plus, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and subscribe in your podcast app. My name is Ross Saunders. I'm reporting for Socialist Party Wales. We've been outside the Ford uh, factory in Bridgend uh, today leafleting uh, after the announcement that uh, the company plans to make brutal cuts. Uh, here they're talking about a thousand jobs going, leaving just 500 workers uh, in the plant. Uh, and that'll be, a, that'll be a killing blow uh, for this part of uh, Wales, not just in Bridgend, but uh, much wider. Workers have transferred here after factories have shut elsewhere. Uh, in Swansea, uh, in Treforest, uh, even as far as Southampton, uh, and there are very few jobs uh, like this uh, left. It's bad news for car workers, but for everybody else as well, because there are so few jobs left. There aren't zero-hour contracts, uh, you know, very insecure work, very low-paid, uh, and these jobs, thanks to the action that union members have taken over the uh, years, are a bit better than that. 
we've got to fight to save them. We've all got to fight to save them because we all have a stake in it. If we allow the bosses to get rid of these uh, more better paid uh, uh, jobs, uh, then we'll be uh, subsisting on uh, on a pittance, and uh, and uh, we've got to mobilise our whole movement uh, to to fight to save uh, the the jobs, and in reality, the factory actually. Because uh, it's very unlikely that if Ford gets away with paring down this factory to just 500 workers, they're going to keep this place open. They've been trying to pull out of uh, uh, countries where the workers have won uh, better conditions for years, for decades, uh, and we've got to fight uh, to stop them. What we're saying uh, is that action is needed now. It's necessary uh, you know, to, to move quickly. We've produced a leaflet that's explaining what uh, we think the demands are. Um, we should have plant meetings uh, down here, just like you should if any workplace uh, is under threat. Uh, and uh, the workers won a, a fantastic uh, victory in a strike ballot uh, only a year uh, or two ago, 18 months ago. Uh, but unfortunately, there wasn't a plan, sustained plan of uh, strike action to stop the cuts at that point. Well, that's got to be put uh, back on the table. If the, if, uh, the union members take action here, uh, then uh, you know they could score a big... Uh, victory and let's uh, point the political finger as well. Carwin Jones met with the uh, shop stewards committee uh, recently, but what practical support are they offering? Companies like Ford have taken millions of pounds of Welsh Assembly money, our money basically, and now they, they're promising a job slaughter. The Welsh Assembly should do what it did uh, when Cardiff Airport was under threat. They should take it over. If Ford's planning uh, brutal job cuts this year, job uh, cuts here then uh, the Welsh Assembly should pledge to take it over and nationalise it to guarantee these jobs stay uh, in the plant and in our uh, communities.